I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, uh, if you have them with you, to the book of Ephesians. If you have your phone, open up your Bible app. Uh, we like to put scriptures on the screen to help help one another out, but also uh, it's really good to see God's Word in its context. That's actually what makes Scripture Scripture, is seeing God's words in its context, and so it's helpful for you to understand that um, as we track along together. But we are uh, we are in the book of Ephesians in a series called One in Christ, and the, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, is uh, the author of Ephesians under the headship uh, of Jesus Christ, or God the Father, who is uh, ordaining and superseding all of the Word of God as it's put together. And Ephesians answers the question, it's kind of a two-part question, what does it mean to be in Christ? And then what does that demand of us in our daily living? So the first three chapters are often seen as the indicatives. That means statements of truth about, uh, well, what the author is telling us truth about. And then the, the second uh, set of chapters, chapters four, five, and six, um, are, are commands, right? They're imperatives uh, where they're saying, as a result of this, this is how you would live. But we would be wrong to say that the first three chapters I don't really have to pay attention to because the second three set of chapters builds off of what's said. And there's application for us uh, each and every time we understand any page of God's word. And so I pray that you'll find it encouraging. Uh, Today will be uh, an encouraging message for us as well. So what does it mean to be in Christ and what does this demand of us? Before we dive in, uh, let's just remember where we've been, what we've looked at in the first uh, couple weeks here. Paul begins the book of Ephesians by praising God. He introduces himself and then he, he praises God for blessing us with salvation. And so in chapter one, he, he has this, uh, he, he unfolds God's eternal purpose uh, in choosing those who are predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters of our heavenly father. Uh, he didn't simply uh, purpose this before the foundation of the world. He not only purposed it, but he also accomplished it. Uh, he accomplished our redemption, redemption through Jesus Christ when he sent him to live in this world to live perfectly righteous in every way, never to sin, and to die on the cross in our place. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit as a a down payment or as a deposit, letting us know that God really will carry out his plan and bring it to completion. Paul unpacks this doctrine that's called union with Christ, and we'll we'll look at that a little bit more uh, this morning. But Paul is, as Paul is worshiping God in the opening of this letter, right, he's writing this letter to this small group of Christians, and as he begins unpacking this doctrine of the union with Christ, he helps us understand how important this is, because uh, it informs everything we do about how we live in Christ. It means that if we are in Christ, we have everything that we need to live according to how God calls us to live. He doesn't call us to live a certain way and then leave us without the resources to accomplish it. So it, it, he helps us understand how God positions us in our relationship with God, but then also how he helps us grow positionally in our sanctification, meaning becoming more and more like Christ. And so Paul prays this way for this specific historical group of people. And by extension, every Christian uh, that would read this and understand it. So he begins by thanking God for their faith in Christ Jesus and their love that they have toward all the saints. You know, we, we want to know how you want one of the marks of a believer if they love God's people. 
If they don't love God's people, odds are they're not a believer. Or they're a believer that needs to repent and come to the Lord. So he thanks the Lord for their faith in Christ and their love toward all the saints. And then he prays that God would give them or help them understand the spiritual wisdom that they need for life in Christ. And he asks for three things. Number one, a hope or a promise fulfilled uh, based on the fulfillment of eternal life, the hope that God has called us to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. And remember, this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is not a, this is not a prayer to a weak God. This is the prayer to a God who can can raise Lazarus out of the dead and give him new life, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him life. So that's where we've been and where we're going. And we move into chapter 2. The Apostle Paul uh, expands on our position in Christ as individuals in the first 10 verses, and then 11 through 22 talks about what, that, what does that look like for the corporate church or for the, the worldwide church? What does that mean for Jews and Gentiles to be brought together as God is building his church? And so uh, this week we're going to focus on verses 1 through 10, and, um, and then next, week, uh, next couple of weeks we'll look at verses 11 through 22. So that's where we've been. This is where we're going. And this morning I want you to understand that salvation is all by God's gift of grace through faith. So that he will get the glory, all of the glory, as we walk in Christ. Let's read together in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and then we'll pray together. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you alone are glorious, and you alone are all-powerful to save. And through the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would focus our minds on your word, that you would give us understanding, uh, not only in our, in our minds, cognitive understanding, but also understanding in how we would apply this to our lives today. That we might know how to, how to walk this out, where we see the living word, Jesus, 
more clearly so that we can walk with him more steadily. And we desire to do this all for your glory, for the fame of your name. And we pray this because we can in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, who, who identifies himself as God's messenger, right? The Apostle Paul's, uh, Paul shows us that salvation is all of God's gift of grace through faith so that he will get all the glory as we walk in Christ. And we're going to see four things today. The latter two we're just going to touch on briefly. Number one, remember what God has saved you from. Uh, number two, celebrate that your salvation is all by God's grace. Number three, cling to what God has saved you for. And number four, work out what God has saved you to, or you might say, walk it out. All right. So number one, remember what God has saved you from. Right out of the gates, we come to a challenge that we need to consider how to overcome, and it'll be different for each of us. Uh, and that is that we see ourselves as being in need of help rather than being in need of life. When we view ourselves, we tend to compare ourselves to the guy next door, or the person next door, or the person sitting to you in the pew or in front of you or behind of you. We compare ourselves to one another. And when we compare ourselves with other sinful humans, it's actually not too hard for us to come out looking pretty good. We all do. We all do, right? But when we compare ourselves to God, we recognize really quickly that we fall short. But see, this would bring us to a point of despair if God didn't actually have a solution, if God didn't actually love those precious ones that we want to tell how precious they are to God, made in God's image to glorify God, to bring glory to him, so precious that he would send his son to die to pay the penalty for our sin. This would be a, 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 a deeply saddening sermon. In fact, it wouldn't really be worth showing up for, but God didn't leave us there. But let's first look at where we were before we realize what God has done to deal with it. I said that we have a challenge to overcome because we compare ourselves with others and we tend to think that we're pretty okay, right? I mean, if I asked you how you're doing, you, you might not say, oh no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm right with God and I've, uh, or, or uh, you know, I live a good enough life to be right with God. Let me say it like that. Right? Um, we're smarter than that. And so we're going to, you know, well, I'm doing okay. That's usually how the conversation goes. I'm doing okay means I don't need God. I've got this because I'm okay. Which is shorthand for I'm self-righteous. Meaning, I believe that if my good outweighs my bad, I am right before God. I mean, that's, that's how we get there. But it starts with something as simple as like, well, I'm okay. Until God opens our eyes to realize that we're in fact not okay. And so in another sense, we realize this because God's etched this on the heart of every human. And so rather than acknowledge that and admit that openly and freely, we want to save face. And so we hide. We pretend we're doing better than we really are. Right? Or we, we as we've talked about before, we, we bring God's standard down to one that we can meet that makes us feel like we're checking all the boxes to be right with God. But what Paul tells us here is that God, in fact, saved us from spiritual death. Not spiritual sickness, spiritual death. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
in which you once walked. Now, let's be clear here. Who is he talking to? He's talking to those who are professing believers, those who have said, I acknowledge that I can't work my way to heaven. And they have seen that God sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for their sin. And they've said, I can't, I can't earn this enough. And so I'm going to believe in faith the gospel of Jesus Christ. Early in church history, people were believing this message. And God said on the profession of that message, that's faith and I will save your soul. So Paul is writing to these Christians. When we become believers, when we are in Christ... We don't walk away from the elementary truths of our daily desperate need for him. The focus of it changes, but we, we, are, we do well to remember what God has saved us from. Or as a Christian, when we sin and we walk away from the Lord, we do well to remember that it is God who has saved us. It is God who has made our hearts alive. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God has saved us out of spiritual death. This is the doctrine of original sin. So think about it like this. Uh, when, when Adam sinned, as a result, every person is a sinner by nature. And that means that our natural bent is towards sin. Our natural bent, friends, is not toward goodness. Our natural bent is not toward righteousness, except for Jesus Christ, right? And that's the condition of every human being since the fall. Without Christ, without Christ, we're doomed. Without Christ, we're doomed, including, including every believer before he or she was saved. But it's a past condition of believers and the present condition of everybody else who's not in Christ, Everybody else who, who either hasn't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, or, or people around the world, they need the word of God. They need to understand that the gospel, that salvation comes through a person, not a religious system. Well, what about all those people that have never heard? They need to hear. And we are to steward our lives as the worldwide church, to do everything we can to get the gospel to them. Well, I don't like that, Pastor Matt. Will? That's because it makes us uncomfortable to realize that we're not to receive this incredible gift just to keep it for ourselves. Because there are real people around the world. There are real people in, in Shellsburg. There are real people in, in, in Vinton. And there, I know I'm going to miss a town here, sorry. But there are real people in Garrison. Real people in Urbana, Center Point, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. There we go, we're covered now. Real people in the United States of America. Real people in, in Central America, in South America. Real people in Africa who need to hear that there is a redeemer and his name is Jesus. Not a religion. Why? Well, because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're, they're not sick and just need to make a call to a doctor. They're dead in trespasses. Listen to uh, what, what Mark says about, um, about how we see this fleshed out in our life, right? Mark 7, 21 through 23, and then I'll go to Jeremiah as well. Uh, Mark 7, 21, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things, say that with me, all of these things come from within and they defile a person. In other words, when we live that way, we show that we are defiled. We, we give evidence to what's happening inside of our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I know we're mixing metaphors here. This means that we are enslaved to sin and we are unable to please God. Listen, if you have a friend, if you have a family member that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior, please don't talk to them about acting better. Don't talk to them about not loving their sin. Talk to them about loving a Savior. And when God transforms their heart, you will see life change. Won't happen overnight. Won't happen overnight. It's not a, always a flick of a switch. It happens differently in different people's lives. So there's that. The Lord works in different ways in our hearts or different people respond in different ways according to God's wisdom and plan. But what we need to tell people is gently help them understand that they are in need of a Savior. And how better to do that than to live a life that says, I've been redeemed. In fact, life is so good right now as a follower of Jesus. Oh, no, no, I don't mean that I have all the money I want. I don't, I don't mean that all my relationship troubles are figured out. No, no, no. Oh, I don't mean that uh, everything is always perfect at the church. I go, no, 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 no. What I mean is that even with all of this stuff going on, even with all of the sickness, even with all of the difficulty, I have. And his name is Jesus. I have a friend that I can turn to in times of need. And his name is Jesus. We are enslaved to sin. But it's not the kind of slavery that remo removes our responsibility. Because we make decisions every day along the way. We are dead in, he says, uh, not because of. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. So our spiritual death, as I said, is revealed by our sinful living. So our tra transgressions would be like a, a false step, a blunder. We might call it a, a mistake, right? Sins means we miss the mark of God's holiness. We miss the mark of God's, it's the center of the center of the center of the bullseye. And Ernest Best says it this way. This is a long quote. We've got it on the screen here for you, but Ernest Best says it this way. The idea is not that people are born alive and slowly die through sinning and then are made alive again at conversion. Still less is there any suggestion that people begin by being spiritually alive, and then they die because of sin. Paul doesn't have this process in mind, this slow dying and moral degradation he is not indicating that, a, a certain, in, a, a, that there's a certain point in the development of a human life which death takes place. People are born dead in sin. It's called original sin. And it remains so until they come to believe. And those who are dead in this way cannot come to life on their own accord. Only God can make them alive. And so this passage, passage goes on uh, to speak in the way of God gives life. God has saved us from the prince of the power of the air. That's a reminder that we'll look at later in Ephesians 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're not floating in an ocean uh, in need of a lifeguard to throw out a, a, a life-saving ring that we can swim to and grab onto, and then this, this, this help savior can come and pull us to shore. We, are at, we, are, we have floated, if you will, or we actually never really floated. It never got that good. We are waterlogged is the word I'm thinking of. And we are at the bottom of this ocean. Lifeless. In darkness. With the bottom feeders in the ocean. And we need someone to dive in and swim to the depths. Take hold of us. Swim up, carry us to shore, lay us out on the shore, and breathe life into our spiritual lungs for the very first time. This is what we need. It's good to see that the brewer's back. I, I, uh, I called them and I, I said, hey, I've got all this wood to, to split in my house. And uh, my guess is that you have a, a log splitter. Right? And he said, yeah, I'll let you borrow it. It's like, oh, that's great. Thanks. Right? Uh, what I don't really need, though, is somebody to just give me the tool to get the job done for my salvation. I need someone to come over and, uh, and actually split the logs for me and then stack them. I mean, I don't know if you're picking up what I'm laying down, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Isn't that how we think about it, though? I just need God to give me the tools, and then I got it. I just need to call and I need to borrow something from God. God says, no, 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 no. I've called you to this thing that you cannot do. And I'm going to come and I'm going to do it for you. And I'm going to give you new life. Brothers and sisters, let's not, let's not betray the gospel by telling those we love deeply. That if they just check these three, five, 20 boxes, God will let them in heaven because God's nice. We would betray our own Savior. Let us not do that. Secondly, we need to celebrate that our salvation is all by God's grace. As we look throughout this passage, there are many contrasts that we see here. And I'm just going to list seven or eight of them here. There's a contrast between living in transgressions and sin versus living in the good works that God prepared beforehand. That's one in ten. There's a contrast between this world versus the heavenly realms. A contrast between death versus life versus sinful nature or the flesh versus union in Christ or with Christ. Wrath versus mercy and salvation. Being under an earthly spiritual ruler versus being seated with Christ who is over every spiritual ruler. Living by nature versus living by grace. Living not by works versus living through faith. This friends, is the reality that God's, that our salvation is all of grace. This is the, 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 uh, the hinge point in the passage, and it's one of the great buts of the Bible. But God, you see that? It doesn't say, but you understood, but you figured it out, but you did the right thing. It says, but God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. 
even when we were dead in our trespasses. Say that. God loved me even when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Say that. Even in my trespasses and sins. Wouldn't that be interesting if it affected our dating life in that way? You know, you get ready to go out on a date and you spend, I don't know, like, well, guys and girls are different, so there's that, but uh, all kinds of time getting ready for the first date and seeing how this is going to go and you primp yourself up and, right, all that. I mean, the guys go put clothes on and they go, but, um, you know, Right, we do all this stuff to, to, or maybe they clean out the car so that it looks good, or they do all of these kinds of things. Right? Wouldn't it be very different, sort of like this, even in our trespasses and sins, if we just said, "Hey, let's just not, let's not fix up anything. Let's just like, let's just like meet up at one of our houses with other people and let's just not clean the house. Let's just see how this really is." No, thank you. I don't think so. I have to woo you. And God says, even in all that, I'm going to open your eyes to the gospel because I'm rich in mercy. We love a gospel that allows us to think that we've added just a smidgen to the equation. Brothers and sisters, I will tell you that if you believe that you've added a smidgen to the equation, and if we're honest, we all do at some level. That's why we have to keep reminding ourselves. Remember, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Oh, that's right. I didn't bring anything to the table. Well, I brought one thing. All of my mess. All of my sin. That's what I bring. And God, oh, he comes with all the grace. Amen. Sounds like a church that's not sure about that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Not trying to rebuke everybody right now, but. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that. Now, here's the big, this is what we need to celebrate, and we need to know what God has saved us for. God has saved us so that, that he would get all of the glory. So we need to cling to that. Friends, if, if we think that we've been saved so that we can look good to those around us, we betray the gospel. God has saved us so that he gets the glory. Well, how did you get delivered from, from that? Or how did you... How did you find it within you to overcome that trial? Well, in fact, the only time it ever was in me is when God came in me. When God gave me new life and then he redeemed my heart. He gave me a new heart to want new things, to, to, to want to strive for greater things, to want to strive for things that are everlasting. Friend, that will glorify God. Rather than, well, you know, I, I, uh, I was baptized when I was younger, and, um, and I really, I go to church, um, and I, I mean, I don't cheat on my taxes, and, um, you know, I try to take care of myself, and it's all about me, 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 me. Now, we don't intend it that way, but we get so comfortable focusing on, on, on what we think we bring to the equation rather than saying, you know, I can be honest with you. 
I mean, I really have nothing. Well, I mean, you're a nice neighbor. Yeah, well, only because of Jesus. In fact, I, I, I was previously kind of a nice neighbor, but it was really just so that other people would treat me well. It was not just about what I do, but the reason why I do these things. You see? And when we cling to the reality of what God has saved us for, that it's for His glory. That's the big so that. These are important little phrases. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us. Oh, glorious. And even which, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, in a future eternal reality, God will show to all spiritual, evil, heavenly spiritual forces, meaning spiritual forces in the heavenly places, not not simply not God, but the devil. And all of his minions. That God is the glorious one. God is the one worth loving. God is the one who can transform. So that in the coming ages, he might show what? The immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. The word grace is like a synonym for kindness. So that that he might show the immeasurable, the incalculable. Now, I I just want to ask you this question, friend. Right right now, with what's going on in your life, have you started to believe the lie that God's grace toward you is not actually that great? Have you started to believe that well, I know the Bible says to live this way, but I really, this makes more sense to me to live, it, live this way. I, I can't confess that sin because I'll lose face with everybody. I can't tell people that I need help because I'm supposed to be a strong one, but I'm getting tired of being strong. Oh, brother, sister, you've, you've maybe forgotten the incalculable riches of God's kindness of kindness to you in Christ Jesus. God wants to God wants to take his children and set them up on the proverbial trophy shelf of life of eternity and say to the to the spiritual forces in the world in the heavenlies You know, there was a day when you wanted the power I have, and look what you've done with it. That all the people you've taken down with it, Satan, that all the lives you've destroyed with vices and hatred and anger and unforgiveness, look at what you've done with what you tried to steal from me, but look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look at all these people, all these souls, redeemed. To worship me for all of eternity. We cling to that. Paul says in Philippians. So we fix our eyes not on what we see. But on what is unseen. 
Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, which helps us. And this is where we'll dive, uh, we'll finish more of 8 through 10. We'll look at 8 through 10 more next week. But this is what gives us the motive to work for what God has saved us to. Oh, there it is, Pastor Matt. Now you're talking about works. No. Well, yes. Before the foundation of the world, God ordained works of righteousness for each of you by name that you should walk in them. And God said, they're born in original sin. They are at the bottom of the ocean. But you know what? I'm going to plan something for them to do. And then I'm going to dive down to the depths and I'm going to save them and I'm going to breathe new life into them. And then I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to teach them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to encourage them. And I'm going to show them the way to walk in. And then I'm going to take them to works that I have prepared for them to do so that when they walk in them, they will say, only God could set this up. Only God could use me, a wretch, a selfish, middle-aged, handsome man. To walk in these walks. You know how frequently I realize that I don't deserve one blessing from God? You know how much I realize what a privilege it is to have the, the family I have and the church that I'm privileged to be a part of? I don't deserve any of it. I had a conversation with one of my younger sisters a couple years back. And, um, and I said, I am so sorry that you have had to watch me be the spiritual idiot that I have been. I'm not making this up. You can call her. And she said, but for the grace of God, I'd have done the same things. See, even after I was a Christian, I didn't make every right decision. I didn't follow God perfectly in every way. No. Do you know what helps us be motivated to live for the Lord? When you realize what he saved you from and what he saved you to. It's all the motivation you need. <clears throat> and this is why God's given us the opportunity to remember this in the Lord's Supper. So that every time we take this little piece of bread, we recognize that that should have been my body that dies for my sin. Now, physically, we will all die for our sin. Physically. But spiritually, we're made alive. That, that should have been my blood that drained out on that cross or in some other way as a punishment, as God's wrath was poured out on me for sin. But you know what? It's not going to be because God won't judge the same sin on, on his holy son and on me because he's just brother and sister in Christ you may need to remember these realities the best way to do it is not to grovel before the Lord but simply to say thank you 
And when you are thankful, you'll increasingly walk out of faith. And you'll be freed. You'll be freed to cling for God's glory in every aspect of your life. And you'll be freed to do works of righteousness as imperfect people striving to glorify a holy God. And your life will be fulfilled. Your life will be glorious because God is all glorious. If you've heard a message of religion, a message of entrapment that says you're not good enough, don't fight against it. Embrace it. Well, that's right, I'm not. And come to Jesus who has shed his blood on the cross for you to know him and to walk with him in faith. In fact, I'd even encourage you not to take communion this morning and just to sit in your seat and use that as an opportunity for prayer. Church family, we also have adjusted this time in in, in the last, I don't know, month or so, so that we have opportunity. If there is something that needs to be made right with another brother or sister, now's the time. Jesus said, if you realize that that, that someone has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go and make it right, then come back and offer your gift. That's serious business. We don't have to fear it, though. Because we're in Christ. The penalty's been paid, paid. And we get to walk in Him. Heavenly Father, we praise You that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We praise You Lord, that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness, that according to your word, through the inner, uh, inner working of the Holy Spirit and through the body of Christ, which you've called to help one another in this life, that we can live righteously to follow you. Father, there may be some here who, who have never experienced that freedom, It might, in fact, sound like a message that's too good to be true. It might even sound foolish. But Paul elsewhere tells us that on the basis and on the the, um, profession of what seems like this foolish message, God would be pleased to save those who believe. So, Father, we ask that you'd Make hearts alive today. And that you would strengthen those who are weak. Do work today that none of us can do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.